Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. On the podcast today, we have DACA recipient Julio Acevedo. The gay Latino will talk about the hope and anxiety of being in the DACA program and how he and more than 700,000 others are waiting for the U.S. Supreme Court to decide their fate. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Attention Journalists of Color. The National Association of Hispanic Journalists and the National Association of Black Journalists will hold a joint national convention and career fair here in Washington, D.C. from July 8th through the 12th in 2020. The five-day event will be held at the Washington Marriott Wardman Park. The convention will offer journalism training, career development, network opportunities, and exposure to new and unreleased media platforms and films. Join leaders and influencers in journalism, digital media, communications, technology, education, business, entertainment, sports, and politics by reserving your spot at the National Association of Hispanic Journalists website, nahj.org. That's nahj.org. See you there. It's been eight years since President Barack Obama debuted his policy, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, also known as DACA, to protect immigrant youth who grew up in our communities, were educated in our schools, and were ready to contribute and work in our society. Between August 2012 and July 2018, more than 908,000 applications for initial DACA were received and around 822,000 were approved based on age restrictions, dates of arrival, and no criminal activity, according to the Department of Homeland Security. Every two years, DACA recipients pay $495 to renew their DACA status, plus additional fees for lawyers to help prepare the lengthy application. Homeland Security data shows that as of this summer, there are only 660,000 active DACA recipients, Included in that total is Julio Acevedo, who is busy preparing his fourth renewal this winter. DACA has allowed Julio to get protection from deportation and allowed him to legally work in the United States. Although DACA doesn't provide a pathway to citizenship, DACA has allowed Julio to thrive in this country. His success mirrors what recent studies have shown about DACA recipients. DACA has reduced the rate of poverty in immigrant communities, improved mental health outcomes for DACA-eligible immigrants and their children, and the DACA workforce has benefited the U.S. economy. And, according to factcheck.org, no evidence exists showing DACA holders are more likely to commit crimes than U.S. citizens. Positive effects on our society because of this program, along with the humanitarian aspect of keeping people who grew up American from being sent to countries they have no connection to, have not convinced our current president to save the program. The U.S. Supreme Court will decide within the next six months whether to give the president the right to shut down the program or protect the livelihoods of hundreds of thousands of young adults across the nation. Let's hear how Julio plans to deal with the outcome of the Supreme Court decision. 
I want to welcome to the show my friend Julio Acevedo, who's one of 700,000 DACA recipients in the United States. I've met him for, and we've known each other for a year, and along the way I've learned so much about your history and your journey to the United States. Very interesting story. Tell us a little bit about your journey to come to the United States. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, allowing me to tell my story a little bit about um, when I came to the United States, I came in as a 12-year-old boy. Uh, we arrived a couple of days before 9-11 uh, happened. Wow. Uh, so it was very hard time to come to. We came through Arizona. Uh, we, My family and I migrated here um, illegally. Um, and we lived in Florida, then moved to Illinois, then moved to Rhode Island, and finally settled there. Um, up until I was 23, then I moved to Florida, but back to Florida. When you were crossing, going through the Arizona border, what were your visions of what life was going to be like? Were you scared? I was very scared, uh, especially because when we were bringing burden, we were with a group of people. Uh, one of them was a pregnant woman, mm. and the car that we were traveling kept um, heating up. So every time we had to stop um, and we saw lights coming, we all had to make a, um, a run for um, shelter or hide, if you will, um, in the dark, mm -hmm. in the desert. Yes. Not, not being able to see what was on the floor where we were hiding in there could have been animals it could have been you know the wildlife that yeah. is in the desert and so it was a very scary moment um when we got finally to a stop where we had to stay on that ground for a little bit um hearing my mom pray because we weren't able to sleep uh, we acted like we were sleeping but just hearing my mom pray that nothing would happen to us in the meantime. How many brothers and sisters? Uh, at that time, it was only my two sisters, myself and my mom. Uh, my dad was already in the United States. Uh, and then later on came my little sister, uh, Giovanna, who you've met my sister Nancy mm -hmm. and Giovanna. And when you came over, you, went, you were in Arizona mm -hmm. and you were able to connect with your family or with somebody to get you to Florida? Yeah, so um, we had a plan all along. Um, the person that brought us over, you know, kind of said this is what's going to happen. Uh, we entered through Arizona, went to California, and then from California flew to Florida. Um, when we came through Arizona, we got intercepted um, by a sheriff. Uh, and we thought, this is it. We're going back. Um, so you had just made that whole journey and you and came across a sheriff. And then what happened? Uh, well, uh, we didn't get sent back. Um, we um, we got pulled over. Um, the, the men that were in the group ran. But the woman and the children couldn't run anywhere. So we just hid behind a tree. And obviously he found us there. And um, unfortunately, it was a very bad treatment that we got. Um, my sister got pointed to drink water out of... Um, where the pigs were drinking water out of, um, but we were brought to this gas station on the side of the road where um, I'll never forget the faces of these two younger people um, that were willing to help us, these two um, American people. Um, didn't speak Spanish, we didn't speak English, but they were willing to help us and they fed us without us asking. They got us a hotel room. Uh, we gave them money to get a hotel room for us and they did. 
um, and those were the first two phases that I um, of hope that I saw once I crossed the border. Yeah. So you ended up in Florida. How, tell me how about growing up there and getting to know American culture. So we, I started learning English in Mexico. Uh, yeah. You know, just like here they teach Spanish mm-hmm. in Mexico. Yes. They teach English uh, as well. And um, it, I started learning English. And then coming here, uh, I already knew the basics. But coming here, getting to learn uh the school process getting to learn as a 12 year old uh, a whole new culture that um you have not been part of and uh just trying to learn and try to fit in was um the hardest part but they do places in um esl classes because we didn't speak fully english yes where you were with other peers like you that didn't necessarily that just had got into the country one common complaint is that immigrants come and they don't want to take on the new culture or they don't want to assimilate was that a problem with you did you like american pop culture oh i love american pop culture <laughs> and i was very i was ready to immerse into it and learn from it and you know um i still remember my first english song that i um that i actually understood what it was saying and yeah. that was <laughs> Uh, I'm real by Jennifer Lopez, <laughs> <laughs> and so that was my first uh, yeah uh, dip into um, American culture and uh, getting to watch MTV and under- actually understanding it, what they were saying. It was pretty cool. So uh, when DACA became available in 2012, we had this new president, Barack Obama. He was about to run for re- he was running for re-election, cool, yeah. but. This can, you know, this had come up. We were fighting for the for the Dream Act that didn't wasn't able to pass, so DACA came to his desk, and he enacted it. How did that feel in twenty twelve when you had an opportunity to sign up for it? So I, I've actually had first heard of DACA back in two thousand thirteen two thousand three, um, when it was just. A, uh, a lawyer talking about this idea in Illinois when I was going to school in Waukegan, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went to this meeting by myself as a 13-year-old boy yeah. with all these adults and then me. Uh, and So you got to travel the United States. You got to live in different places. I got to live in different places. So I got like a full emerge of American culture yeah. from all different states, of the yeah. different states that I lived in. Yeah. Um, so then when I finally heard about DACA coming becoming uh, um, a reality not fully where we wanted yeah. it or but you know it was a token to us yeah. I was very excited and so you already knew about what was coming down yeah I already learned about it yes years I ago about it years ago and, I, and in my head I was like well maybe one day <laughs> yeah 2003 but when it kind of finally became a reality I was like okay uh, here we go um, how do how is it gonna affect me and uh, how is it going to affect my family and it was in a very positive way. However, uh, because um, I was a undocumented young adult and uh, still trying to make a living um, while going to work, I got pulled over driving without a license uh, three times. So I had that on my record. So when I went, I tried to apply it in. I seek the help of uh, 
DORCA. It's the an international institute in Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island, that helped me. Because you, um, you went from Illinois to Rhode Island? To Rhode Island, yes. Man, you're going all over the planet, <laughs> all over the place. Yes. So you ended up at Rhode Island trying to apply for DACA, but there was these three strikes against you. Yes. So, and traffic violations. Yes. So um, um, this uh, DORCA is a nonprofit organization, and they helped me apply, but when they were applying, we were going through the paperwork they were afraid to put my um application in because they thought well there's a discrepancy there's a, a rule here where it says if you have a felony you can't apply so if we send it in there is a chance that you might just get deported and we put it up for five months and after the five months i said you know what i want to put it in if i get deported i get deported um but i don't want to go and say what if i did apply and and i didn't go through with it if you miss a deadline yes so i and then i finally applied and i got um granted the first time so how does it feel now that you you got the status um mentally and 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 financially for you for your family so i can actually it feels really good because i i can actually apply for jobs uh, I've been working for this company that um, great company to work for since I was um, 18 years old and um, you know I, I've been able to advance in so many levels that uh, this company has allowed me to grow and uh, has given me the tools to do so uh, without a college degree uh, and starting just as a uh, this is a clean uh, industry. Um, I work for the Mates International, mm-hmm. uh, and I started just as a cleaner with them. Um, slowly move, move my way up to uh, being an assistant in the team, to running a team, to being a field manager, then um, a operations manager, and now I have my own branch, which is the wow. largest branch in the country, making about three point five million dollars a year. You see, that's one thing that I I love about you is that you've worked really hard yes a lot of people tend to say well immigrants you know come here and they work the jobs that nobody wants but not just those jobs you guys excel in every job that you're that's given to you yes doctors lawyers and you're ready to run a million dollar company you know that's what i that why i admire you Thank you. And I love your story the way you started because you and your, your family started as um, uh, as maids and you worked yourself up. You know, yes. Who got you? Your mother got you in, correct? Yes. So uh, my mom has had been working in that company since I was 15 years old or maybe younger. Uh, and at that time, I didn't know what I could do as a job other than fast food and I did not want to work at fast food anymore um so she was like well my company's hiring and I was like well I'll start working there till I find something else yeah I didn't necessarily saw it as a career uh I didn't necessarily saw myself there 10 years later um and here we are um about 11 years later now um and I would have never thought that I would be where you are where i am right now um but it's almost like it brings memories of my family we were barely making it back in the 80s and my parents had their daytime jobs and at night we would clean offices 
yeah. they would pick us up after school and we go and clean offices. It's almost like a rite of passage to try to achieve the American dream. Make ends meet. Make ends meet. Yeah. You go, you clean places, and it's beautiful that your 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 family brought you into this career and now you're running the show. Yeah. How does it feel to be running an industry where there's probably a lot of immigrant women? Yeah, so it, it feels good. It feels, um, you know, I, I have an opportunity to look out for my people almost. Um, and it is a thing, not that the company that I work for, it doesn't treat them well, but it gives them a sense of, um, he is one of us and he's up there fighting for us. Um, and they know that, um, I will always do the right thing. I will always look out for them. You'll have their back. Um, and I have their back fully, uh, and I will never allow anything wrong done to them. Like I said, not that the company would, but um, it, it, it's good it's to have an advocate. Company. It's it, it's always nice to have someone to um, talk to, especially in your language. Exactly. A lot of my employees don't speak English, um, and a lot of them speak broken English. So it's uh, making sure that you know that they understand their contracts, making sure they understand the rules that otherwise they wouldn't necessarily understand. Um, you've had to renew your DACA. Yes. Which is every... Um, every two years. So by now I've renewed it, I think, four times, three, four times. And how much is it each year, each time? Uh, for me, it's ranged between the six to $900 because I've always had um, this organization, nonprofit organization that um, will help me. But they always, you know, require some type of donation yeah. to, 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 instead of against my cousins who have paid... $2,000 for an actual lawyer to help them fill it out. Uh, you know, I've been very lucky to have the assistance of this organization. Um, and, um, but everything had been smooth up until last year. Um, that tell, us about, tell us about that situation because, like I said at the beginning of the interview, this is not an easy process. It is There's not. so many things that can go wrong, and it right. did for you. Right. Tell so, us. Uh, there, it's a whole about 20-page application where you have to um pretty much get everything right if you get one thing wrong um you get um denied and in my case the third time i renewed um it wasn't my mistake it was um someone else's mistake uh when they were inputting in into uh a system or press the wrong key um maybe i don't know but um so to be eligible for daca you had had to be in the country before you turn 15 years old um when they put my birthday in the, the third time, they said, you were not, you, they put in the wrong birth year, which made me older than what I It's almost uh, like someone tried line. to sabotage. It, 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 I, you know, I want to think not, but it, it but. Mistakes um, can happen. Mistakes but... can happen. I want to say it was a human mistake, but you never know. In this yeah. day and age, um, one of my teachers once told me when applying to college one time when I had aspirations to go to college and I still do she said never mention in your application that you're Mexican because you know you never know who's reading that application and they'll deny you just for that yeah. if there's someone racist and uh, it almost makes me think to that um, but I'm like no I'm proud of my heritage and I will <laughs> and I will write it down and if you want to deny me for anything for that then deny me yeah. um, but anyway so yeah so um their birthday was uh, year was wrong and said that I was older when I came to this country and 
Um, they denied it. They sent it back. I was in Texas when I found out. Um, I was actually right next to the Selena Monument. Um, you were in Corpus? <laughs> I was in Corpus. Visiting Christi, that famous visiting, Selena statue. Visiting Selena. The, accomplishing one of my dreams. One of your to, dreams because yes, you love Selena. I love Selena. And at that time, you got this phone call from your mom, right? From my, my mom. Um, she said, you got an immigration letter that came in and I... I asked my little sister to open it because she was the one that, you know, read English. And I was like, read me what the letter says. And she was reading it. I said, it, was, it says it was denied. And I told my sister, don't change your face and don't say anything to mom. Don't translate the letter to mom. Just say it was a receipt saying that I got it. But we were, went from having this great moment with my sister-in-law and my sister to... At this vacation that you're having. <laughs> Um, wow! Immediately called the, per- the the organization that helps me, and I told them I don't know what happened, and they were like, "We got it too. We don't know what's going on, but we'll find out." What we got. They send you back the whole package mm-hmm. of your application, including money over everything, and on the application and the letter that they sent, when I was going through it, the birthday didn't match, and I was like. Well, my application says the right birthday, but this is the wrong birthday. Yes. And I'm like, they're denying it for my birthday, but their records should there. I've already been approved twice for this with the right birthday. So it makes no sense why they would think I will have a different. I'm, I'm trying to reply with a different birthday. Yeah. And this all came at the time where um, Trump was originally trying to repeal DACA. Yes. And it had to be in by October 4th. So we tried to reapply and they sent it back again and said, you missed the deadline. You're no longer eligible for it. But my lawyer turned around and said, no, this we put this in through it. Prior to this deadline, you made the mistake. So you need to take this application. And they took it. Wow. But I was in the air of like, and thinking they're not going to take it. This is it. This is now. Um, this, I, I don't have a way to renew it anymore. So. This is where it ends. How do you... Um, now that we're in, a, in an era where we have this DACA going before the Supreme Court and the Trump administration is asking permission to knock it out, to strike it down, get rid of it, what steps have you taken just in case this actually happens? Uh, if they do strike it down, obviously, um, I would... Ha- I'm renewing this month for um, my next two years. So if yeah. they do strike it down, um, I hope not. But if they do, um, I don't really have a plan in place because I really don't like to think about it. Um, but we do have um, a house in Mexico. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, we've always talked about if anything like this happens. Um, I, I have... Uh, on to Mexico that I've not necessarily seen in over 20 years. Yes. Um, but um, I will go back to a unknown country now because I was only 12 when I was last there. And. Um, but your life will definitely change because. Dramatically, because from 12 years old till now, this is all I know. My friends are here. I don't have any friends in Mexico. My friends, my family, my mom, my sisters. Every, my whole life has been built would you here. Go, would you go back into the closet? I would potentially go. Yes. Be, uh, no, I, I wouldn't potentially. I would definitely have to be forced back into the, the closet. Because uh, I don't know necessarily how um, 
people react to LGBT people, and that's what our people don't understand. In that part of the world that you have to yeah. go back to. And the, um, I'm, a, I'm a minority twice. <laughs> I'm yeah. Mexican, and I'm gay. I'm a gay Mexican, so um, I'm a minority in my own country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, um, in specifically in the area that I'm from, in uh, Guanajuato, how the LGBTQ plus communities viewed. So I will have to force myself back into the closet until I would say, let's find out what's out Investigate there. Investigate what's is. out there. What's the atmosphere like? Yes. See if it's, it's, if it's safe. Yes. Yeah. For the mo- mostly if it's safe. If the day comes and you get to become a U.S. citizen, what is your American dream? Let's think about positive terms. Positive terms. Yeah. So you get to become a U.S. citizen. What's your eventual dream? Uh, I would go to college um, and get a degree. That's my dream. And um, right now, I do okay for myself, you know, um, money-wise, because of the position that I'm in. Um, and you're very active in the community. You volunteer a lot. And yes. you you really I'm, I admire the way you, you show you. up to volunteer at events and, and give yourself to the community. So I'm very happy that you're in this community and that you're you're an active member. Yeah, and, uh, you know, um, I want to prove to them that because there's a lot of stigmas about we just come here to freeload. And um, my family has never been in any type of public assistance. Um, we've always found ways to make ends meet. So, and I want to show them that, yes, I am an immigrant and I was an illegal immigrant. And now I am a DACA recipient, but I don't have full rights. If I was to leave this country, I will not be able to come back. Um, but I want to show them that I am here and I am making a change in my community, which because this is my community, regardless of anything. Um, and I've when I was asked to move here for work, uh, I. As you may may or may not know, I talk a lot of crap politically, um, mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right, so you were in, you were on your mouth a lot. Let's go to where you can make a difference, and let's talk the walk. Let's walk the walk, and not just talk the talk. So and, you decided and, and it's decided to come to, to Washington D.C. Yep. <laughs> You've lived in all these different states, <laughs> yes. and you said you're gonna make your take a chance on Washington D.C. Yes. Well, I, I had been here when I was. Um, I'm say 17 years old with uh, a great program that is close up for new Americans. Um, I was brought here f- um, for a whole week, and never in my mind would have I ever thought that I was would be able to call Washington D.C. my home. And when I was approached about it, I was like, "Yeah, I, I want to move there. I want to make a difference. I want to fight for what's right." My LGBTQ community, minorities, um, Latinos, uh, all those um, minorities that. Um, don't necessarily um, are being viewed at the way they should in this climate and um, you have allowed, allowed me to do that and I've 
um, watch to you, and I've learned so much from you. Um, and I've learned and from I, you too. I, I, There's mutual love here. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate the opportunities that you have given me to volunteer to help to do all this work for this um, um, great country that I've known um, and I've grown to love and make it my own. What message do you have to people who want to support the DACA student, the DACA recipient? You know, I've met a lot of um, DACA recipients that have had the opportunity to go to college. Um, but not all of us have because of the different states that we lived in. You know, um, state of California, state of Texas have different laws to allow um in state situations when you're an immigrant and you have to pay out of state tuitions in other states so i couldn't afford it so a lot of uh these DACA um recipients don't necessarily have the means to refile every single year or they are not aware of these organizations that are willing to help you file so you don't have to pay the great cost that a, a lawyer cost so um if you know a DACA recipient help them out because you just never know i'm so lucky that i've had friends in the past um especially when hurricane irma hit i didn't have the means to to reapply and that's you were living in florida i was living in florida at that time and that's when they were trying to repeal daca and i didn't have the means to meet the deadline to apply and my friend um who i've have learned to love so much like the brother i've never had uh john carlos estrada and bruce tharp they were so amazing God bless. that they offered to pay for it. I asked for it as I was like, wow, you pay you back and they're like, we will unfriend you if you haven't tried. But um, they for, have been so amazing to me. For people that are listening, uh, if you ever want to help out a DACA recipient in need, United We Dream is a national organization. UCLA. UCLA. A lot of national organizations are collect funds to help needy DACA students and they uh, apply and bet them and make sure that you know that they I say DACA like, students when it should be DACA recipients DACA recipients yes yes, yes. so um, help, help out we are great people um, and like I said I've met so many great people I met recently met a dancer I've met a lawyer I met a doctor who is a DACA recipient in New York City when I was there for New York Pride and I was like oh my god I there's people like me and there's yeah. more and <laughs> because you don't necessarily talk about it yeah and um, when you go out and you meet all these great people that are doing great things and with now that they're allowed to and it's just we're all making this country what it is a melting pot of great people well, Julio, I want to thank you so much for sharing your journey on my podcast. I and I wish you the it. best of luck this month when you have to renew that 20-page document. Thank you. And if you need help, reach out to me. Thank you so I much for being on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. And thank you for allowing me to share my story. And thank you for mentoring me to be a better um, volunteer. 